This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Sweet tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, but we didn't stop there. We combined soft and bouncy to bring you new Sweet Tarts Gummies Fruity Splits. A uniquely delicious dual-sided gummy with one side that's sweet and one side that's tart, but entirely smooth and squishy. Mmm, a powerfully perfect combo. Sweet tarts. Dare to combine. Hello and welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Tom Kerridge. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, your host, Tony Naylor. Today, I'll be joined as ever by the one and only Tom Kerridge and our special guest, chef and cookery writer, Claire Thompson, best known on social media as Five O'Clock Apron. Claire, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Say hello to Tom. Hi, Tom. All right, mate. So, uh, these two will be helping us delve into one of the most pressing issues in the kitchen right now, something that with ingredient and energy costs soaring, pretty much everyone listening to this podcast will be wrestling with to varying degrees. That is, how to save money as we cook. So, Claire, hello. Hi. Um, you have less mouths to feed than Tom, <laughs> but, you know, uh, husband and three kids in Bristol. Uh, I, I, have you felt that shock at the till recently? Yeah, 100%. You know, the, the sh- my shopping bill is going up and up and up, but I'm not changing what I'm cooking for my kids. Or I do the odd sort of catering event still, and, you know, those bills are higher than they used to be. But, you know, I think that w- with that issue of, of the costs rising, we need to be conscious of that and, and try and, and, be, and navigate that and be aware of that and, and, and grow on our skill, really, as, as cooks at home to sort of make sure that we're, we're aware of cheaper cooking, you know, methods and, and, and cuts of meat and various, you know, ingredients. Uh, you are the author of The New Kitchen Basics, a book that promised to revolutionise the way you cook every day and also the art of the larder. So uh, in many ways, and this is why you're here today, you know, you are the expert in this realm. But have you felt, even yourself, have you begun to cook differently? Because obviously I think at times when things become more expensive and it, it feels, you know, palpable in, in our pockets, then obviously it sharpens minds about, you know, being less wasteful and cooking as efficiently as we can. I mean, are, are you getting more rigorous about that than you once were, perhaps? Well, food waste is definitely a current topic, isn't it? So I'm really conscious of that and I try and use all of the stuff that I come into my kitchen. I make sure that there's middle food waste. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I haven't really changed the way I cook because I think my sensibilities as a, as a chef 
first and foremost, and then a and then later a, a cook at home for my kids, is that the way I cook is is always how I've cooked. But you know, the day to day week stuff, yeah, definitely conscious of the pennies. Are you hot on this at home as well, Tom? I mean, do you see the bills and do you go mad if you see food being wasted at home? I mean, I, spook, I presume it's drummed into you from a professional point of view. I mean, do you have to kind of relax a bit at home or? Yeah, know, no, I have a little bit annoyed? more of a chilled approach to it at home because, to be honest, I'm not there a great deal, like particularly when it comes to to tea times. But, you know, most of the time, my Beth, Beth, my wife, is cooking for for my little man. And, you know, the understanding of what comes in and out into that kitchen is normally is normally in Beth's hands. So, yeah, it, do, it does drive me nuts. We try to use everything in the fridge on a weekly basis. So by, you know, Sunday night, like it, it actually even last night, you know, last night was a knock it together fridge tea of an omelette of what was existing in the fridge, kind of like made into if a you can't tortilla. do that, though, nobody can. So. No, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, you you try to you try to utilize everything fruit that perhaps is then coming to the end of it. it's like okay let's yeah. make a lovely smoothie for let's do a let's utilize the stuff that you've got but that's a skill set that I've got uh, that I've built over 30 years so to expect people to suddenly start cooking like that at home is a very very different and difficult thing for people to suddenly pick up and it's not a re- it's not a real um it's not a real grasp on what's happening in, you know, in the world to suddenly go, well, you just make a smoothie or just, you know, why don't you make yourself a lovely omelette? Well, people don't know. They haven't got the skill set. They haven't been doing it. They've been buying food or doing ready meals or doing whatever. To all of a sudden expect everybody to cook because we've gone through years now of taking those, removing those skills. Listen, we're on the BBC Good Food podcast. We, you know, we write for the BBC Good Food magazine that, you know, this audience is the audience that knows how to cook. They love food. They, they're engaged with it. But the reality of where people are at home with the cost of living, I, I think they're not necessarily engaged into buying the magazine or listening to this podcast. How do we improve that skill set? How do we get people to to try and um, understand the food that they're buying or they're purchasing? How to remove waste? How to keep that money? I, I think is is a is a completely different skill set, and it's very difficult and one to get across to people. But these are the realities of what's going to be happening in the next two or three years of people being able to try and understand how to cook, how to cook better, and how to reduce the waste that they're doing to save in turn saves money. It's interesting that that lack of skills. Would come up so early in the conversation and like tom said you know that's we're lucky because we i've been taught to cook and i'm aware of how to cook a chickpea or those cheaper thriftier ingredients you know of the land you know pulses and stuff that we should all be eating for the better good of the planet as well as our pockets but you know i'm lucky that i can cook that and my only hope is through activities like this and and food writing and and the sort of voracious food media is that we can we can build on that knowledge once again. You know, there's an appetite for it, I think, finally. I mean, I'm not saying this is going to happen anytime soon, but oddly, one positive that may come of this situation, if it embeds itself long term, is that obviously, as you say, Tom, it will put a greater emphasis on people being taught to cook because, you know, if you want people to navigate their budgets and how they eat successfully obviously that is a key skill and it's one that's been neglected yeah but i think it's generational it's slowly been uh, uh, um, pulled apart for the last 20 30 years you know it's not something that you can suddenly turn back on and in two or three years time it's fine no no, no. i think it's something that is long term i think our understanding i mean if you look at um, the issue with school meals and free school meals and you look at the issue from childhood point of view where um i suppose home economics has disappeared appeared from the curriculum and I in a way 
I do understand that. Okay, I think the education system, you know, for me, my personal experience, I didn't grow up from an academic point of view doing very, very well because I was much more of a practical person. I couldn't wait to leave school and do things with my hands and not have to remember stuff to then write it down again in an exam, which means I'm clever. Like it, it's very difficult. And, and that education system has slowly moved into being into that position where it is much more about people having a skill set, where you know whether it's a vocational kind of um, job that they move into. Um, but I understand where reading, writing, history, geography, economics, biology, chemistry, all of these sort of things are being prioritised on a curriculum. I get it. But there has to be another way of getting food education into that system. You know, I I would be a big fan of not just free school meals for the kids that needed it, like myself when I grew up coming from a single parent background, like what about free school meals for everybody? And everybody sits down at lunchtime and everybody learns about the food that they're yeah, having. Yeah. Not necessarily learning how to cook it, but you learn about the vegetable, you learn about the chickpeas, you learn about whatever else. So you start engaging from a much earlier age into food, food knowledge, food understanding, as opposed to it just being something that's slopped out and done and mm. what's quick and easy. And I think, you know, there is a way of, uh, of government expenditure to be seen used slightly outside of the box that can be enjoyment and exciting and engaging whether it whether it's uh, urban based city center schools or whether it's schools that are out in the countryside this is something that can engage with everybody so i think i think we need to look at it from a much um longer uh, uh, um it's a much longer game it's not something that can happen overnight it's something that if we start, if we work on it, it's something that could be much better in 20, 30 yeah, years. Yeah, sure. Time. I mean, I'm under no illusion there'll be any quick over fix. 20 or 30 I'm years. under no illusion there'll be any quick fix. I just think a situation like this, where food prices are so much a topic of conversation, may shift some minds towards the idea that actually, yeah, those cooking schools were important as a, as a matter of food security and a matter of, of, of freedom for people that they can kind of navigate their lives successfully. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some of those skills now. I mean, across kind of three areas, I suppose, ingredients, meal prep, and then kind of kitchen habits we get into or don't get into uh, that perhaps cost us more than they should. So the idea being we're going to try and help people save a few quid, I suppose, overall. So, Claire... Um, You've obviously loads of tips in this area. So, you know, talk us through a few of the key things. I mean, buying in bulk's one you're keen on, isn't it, if you can? I mean, again, that's slightly difficult. You've got to have the money to do it in the first place, but you have. If you have, it will save you a few quid eventually. You've got to have the storage too, haven't you? So, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Buying in bulk for grains like rice, you know, a five kilo sack of rice is considerably less per kilo than the little 500 gram packs. You know, if you look in the world food aisle of supermarkets, you often see them, you know. So um, that is a good one. Buying big, big, packets of pasta and that kind of thing, you know, buying seasonal, I mean, seasonality is drummed into us so much these days, but actually I'm, I'm conscious that people are, you know, lots of people are still not following that. So we shouldn't really be having whatever it is freighted in blueberries, whatever, whatever from far away. We should eat what what's in season. Is it cheaper though? It is cheaper, yeah, because it's it's if you're buying seasonal, there's gluts in the shop and there's a glut for a reason. It's because there's lots of it at the time. So the pricing should be competitive and especially if you adhere to the fact that you're buying seasonal and local so you know buying buying food that's closer to home you're not going in, to incur those extra costs that come with freight i'm going to push back on that slightly go for it <laughs> uh, because i was going to come to this later but i think perhaps in a conversation about saving money one of the things that i think perhaps needs to go is the idea that we need to eat fresh and seasonally personally because uh you know 
a great tip that I've read in your work before, stock cubes. So at the moment, that seems to me brilliant. And frankly, I've never cut my own stock. I've always felt, you know, that's 10 hours of my life. I'm never going to get back when stock cubes are so good. But, you know, it, it, is that not precisely what we're talking about? You know, stock cubes, bang flavour into your food for a fraction of the cost, given all the energy involved of sticking, a, uh, you know, making your own stock at the moment. And whether it's tinned food or whatever, which we'll come to later, there are a lot of situations where fresh is more expensive. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Obviously, stock cubes are great, and the, the, there is a very difference in levels of quality of stock cubes. You know, I'm talking there's good and there's a very poor ones that are full of salt, you know. So, um... Absolutely not stridently seasonal. You know, I'm a big favor of like, t- you know, frozen spinach, tin products, all these things that kind of back up your cooking, cooking artillery, really. So if you have that store cupboard or, or like I've written about in my books, you know, if you're, if you have that sort of base to work from and then you pop in the odd thing, whether it's like a Sunday treat, you know, joint of meat or something that you want to savor or some seasonal produce that's come your way, strawberries, whatever is in season, then you should be able to cook creatively and and cheaply, but you do need to have that foundation at home in, in you know, and, and that foundation needn't be expensive. It can be those pulses and, and grains and tin tomatoes and things like that. You mentioned frozen uh, food there. Mm. Frozen veg. I mean, why is there such snobbery around frozen veg? With the exception of peas, because, you know, Heston Blumenthal did that thing for a period where, you know, he sold frozen peas to the nation. But everything else, you know, spinach, broccoli. Sweet corn. My kids love yeah, sweet corn. But you never hear anybody talk about it. I mean, I was checking out some of the prices yesterday. I mean, fresh, it's like seven times the price, which seems bizarre when obviously a lot of the stuff that's frozen arguably is more nutritious for you than the fresh stuff it's, if it's been sat there for days. I think from Claire's point of view, the seasonality thing is, is there, there's some there's some very strong arguments of why seasonality is cheaper. The, there's, there's points of seasonality where it is much more expensive. And those are the points where those there's, there's marquee products that come in. So from a chef's point of view, you look at asparagus right now is super expensive. Jersey raw potatoes are really expensive strawberries that are just beginning to come onto the scene like the garrigette strawberries or whatever they're, 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 this is where from a chef's point of view go this is seasonality at its best and this is and that's when the product is sky high the same as lamb now it's like beautiful however you know 
I got quoted a price for middle necks of lamb two weeks ago at £45 a kilo. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Like, So you just go, this is just banal. So this is right now, seasonality is amazing, and this is where producers go in there. But there's lots of, like, not secondary products, but they're not the marquee ones. They're not the, that are coming through, that are mass kind of grown, that are in season now. And that's where you can buy cheaper, and it works really well for fresh projects. But I did a whole project, and still working on the the full-time meals product that I was working with Marcus Rashford, uh, about building recipes that have been we've been writing and they get released once a week um, every week and so many of them they've been about um, trying to drive the uptake in the uh, healthy start vouchers Um, and they so many of those recipes all of them have been based around being pocket friendly but you touch on the frozen vegetables there so many of the recipes have frozen vegetables in them and that works for two different reasons one because it's already chopped. It's already done. Okay. It, it, many people, if they're lucky enough to have a fridge or a freezer, they might just have that top compartment of that fridge, that little drop down bit where the, you normally have ice cubes. Get rid of the ice cube thing. You don't need that. Keep your bags of um, frozen veg in there, whether it's your peas, whether it's you can have chopped onions, your sliced peppers, your broccoli, your whatever. Now, the good thing about having frozen vegetables in that is you only take out exactly what you need so from a waste point of view you're just going i'll just have my one handful or my hundred grams of or my what like and you just use what you need and the rest of it stays frozen so one it's great for it's, the, the product is great you know tinned new potatoes are some of the lovely they're gorgeous they're amazing tinned carrots they and were, fruit too. yeah tinned, fr- fruit. tinned fruits amazing yeah. not all the ones with loads of added syrup to it but the ones in the now you know all of these sort of things that that w- w- the biggest effort that I've been putting in in the last year with Marcus is trying to remove that snobbery, particularly when it comes to budgetary eating, trying to save money, trying to be better and friendlier on the pocket. And frozen stuff is exceptional for the reduction of waste. We've mentioned tins a couple of times there. I know, Claire, you're a big fan of, tin, big fan of tinned fish. Yeah, love tinned fish. Um, what should we be eating more of? I mean, I think we're all familiar with tuna, aren't we? But, you know, what else is out there that we should be getting into? We should be avoiding tuna, I think. Um, so, yeah, you know, sardines, mackerel, pilchards, you know, those little oily fish, they're really good for you, high in omega-3s. You know, not just having them on toast like my dad used to have, but like, you know, they're really good if you sort of fry up some garlic and fennel seeds and chuck it in a pasta. You've got like a lovely fish sauce for a pasta, you know, things like that. Yeah, really good. I love them. And they, they're tinned, so they don't have a sell... Well, they have a sell-by date, but it's extremely long sell-by date. So. Is saving ourselves a few quid, Tom, eating outside of our comfort zone to a degree? I mean, obviously, those big five fish, uh, salmon, cod, tuna, haddock, prawns, I think it is, you know, despite being an island nation, we're addicted to them. It's 75% of everything that's sold, I think, you know. I mean, to a degree, if you've just got to push yourself a little and you can eat well for, you know, less, I suppose. The, the big thing about those fish that you mentioned there is that they're the ones with the most mild in terms of flavour. And the ones that Claire were talking about, like the tinned sardines, the pilchards, the the mackerel, they're, they're quite punchy. They're quite strong in terms of that fishy flavour. And it is, it's about, now I love that. But, uh, you know, there's a, if I put a, a, a sardine pasta in front of my six-year-old son, I know he would turn his nose up at it. He wouldn't like it. He'd just rather just have plain pasta because they're quite big, powerful smells and flavours. And it, again, it's about learning the palate. It's about adjusting to it. It's about, yeah. And yet, listen, he's six. If you're 26, let's be a bit of a grown-up about it here and yeah. let's, uh, let's actually yeah. eat it. It's not bad for you. It does taste nice. But, you know, people go, oh, I don't like that. What don't you like about it? Like, come on, let's be honest. 
taste here. Like, it does taste great. It is quite big. It is quite punchy in flavor. It is quite strong. So, yeah, you, you do need to kind of push yourself into um, having a go at stuff. Just be brave at things. Just be, just be a bit more confident about what you're doing. But again, that comes down to a skill set. Those fish that you talked about there, it's very similar to the most people have five or six dishes that they cook at home. And that's it. That's their repertoire. And that's their safety zone. And that's where they go, whether it's spaghetti bolognese, whether it's a particular cheese on toast, whether it's a type of... That's what people stick to. But if you are trying to save money and you are trying to look at um, how you can eat better or how you can eat for a much more pocket friendly, you do need to look at the products that are around you. You do need to shop around you. You do need to look at recipe books that, that Claire's done or ideas that somebody like Jack Monroe has done, who's mm. who's just a phenomenal force of nature in, the, in this world of kind of like frozen food, tinned food, cookery. You know, these, these are people that re- their expertise is in this level of going, you know, but also great, great dishes, super flavoursome, super tasty, super good. Um, already, uh, because prices are rising, I've seen, you know, pieces recommending that, you know, we get back into offal for about, you know, the fourth time in my lifetime. And yet it's never really kind of taken off in any serious way. And, you know, the last time I lived was probably in like 1987. Uh, incinerated in various ways by my mum. You know, is is that even a realistic thing these days? I mean, you know, I presume there are certain, uh, you know, inverted commas, pieces of offal now, which are actually quite expensive because they're quite sought after. And I mean, do we have to be realistic, like you're saying, about what is actually, you know, palatable to the average person. I mean, I've had the best trite money can buy and it's not very nice, really. And I don't think we want to go back to that if we can avoid it. Yeah, I think you're right with awful. Listen, I'm not an awful fan at all. It's, it's I, As a chef of 30 years that cooks everything British and beautiful and as much as we can, like in everything that we do, that goes through understanding of classic French cookery is my background, you know, whether it's braises or, or pan frying or whatever it is, the idea of kidney, brains, liver... Uh, like it, it, for me, I I wouldn't. I'm not a big fan of it. I wouldn't dress. I wouldn't go to the supermarket. And go, I'm going to have that. I do like but, a kidney actually. Do you? Yeah. See, yeah. I I would rather cook a vegetarian dish. I would go out and go right. Well, I would cook a vegetable bake. I would do a thing. I like. I would look at it from that point of view. I, and I think the reality is, instead of pushing those awful cuts, I think we do need to be the the vegetable. The last three, four, five years has been celebrated a lot more in so many different ways. And I think there's a that's a great route to be going down, particularly for budget friendly friendly cooking, is celebrating vegetables a lot more rather than trying to push people. Because all you're going to do is somebody with not so strong a kitchen um, uh, uh, expertise to cook, get them to cook a piece of pig's liver and try and serve it with something. I mean, all you're going to do is put people off even more. Let's be honest about this. Cauliflower cheese done nicely with maybe, I don't know, a cheap packet cheese sauce, if that's all you can afford to buy for 26p with a little bit of extra on the top, cooked cauliflower mixed together. Like for a much cheaper meal, you've got the vitamins and the nutrients that comes from the vegetable. You've got something to eat that's sustainable, that's filling for, for, for a family as well. This is something that, you know, you want people to feel full up. You don't want them to go without. And the, those are big things as well. When you're talking about saving money, 
what we have to remember is here that if you have a family and you've got kids that are fussy, if it's the first time of trying something, if you've, you know, you're down to your last £3.25 and you are buying a meal for a family, you're going to buy something that you know that everyone's going to eat because you haven't got, you're not going to take that risk on buying something that then they don't like it and they won't eat it. And now you've, now you've spent all the money and nobody's eating anything. And these are real time decisions that a lot of people are having to make. So I would say stick with the safety things, go with vegetables over the offal, I would, every time. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that. Ditching meat seems like an obvious route to go down if you want to save a few quid. But again, well, there's a couple of things there, I suppose. Uh, you know, it seems a bit patronising possibly to tell people, well, ditch meat, happily dig into the veg, uh, you know, make your lasagna veggie rather than use meat. I suppose the other aspect is obviously, again, there's a lot of cooking necessitated there that perhaps there isn't with meat at times. So, you know, it is a difficult one to get to a point. I suppose everybody's got to tech their own tips from this and other programmes like it and, you know, other other articles they'll read and, and tech what they find useful. So on that front, Claire, I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about cooking. So, you know, energy costs going through the roof. What are we doing whereby we're just wasting energy in ways that we, you know, we could be using it more efficiently, I suppose? I suppose oven usage is one to keep in mind, really. If you're going to roast something or bake something like a cake or something, it's definitely worth your while cooking something in the oven at the same time. They're, ex you know, expensive things to use. They're big, great big things that use a lot of energy. So, you know, throwing some root veg in or some potatoes to cook in, on the bottom shelf when you're cooking whatever it is you're cooking that you've got then cooked off and you can just chop up and pan fry some roast, roast potatoes, you know, that, that are already cooked. Like stuff that likes to be reheated, like root vegetables, really. So you could do a nice big roasted tray of root vegetables and then chuck that in the fridge and then use that for another meal. You know, biryanis, flapjacks pilafs, whatever you, you know, want to do. Pulses, you need to bring, you need to soak pulses. Dried pulses are a lot cheaper to buy than tinned. So you just, you do need to have the foresight to soak them. So you soak them, bring them up to the boil, chuck them in a big tray, lid it or foil it, and then put that in the oven to cook at the same time. Then you've got a big load, of, a big vat of cooked beans or whatever to use at a later date, you know, that's cooked in the same energy that you've cooked your meal that you're eating there and then. And stop opening the door as well. Yeah. To check on your food. Um Bulk cooking as well uh, of meals, um, that strikes me as something that's an obvious energy saver. Mm, definitely. Like a good tomato sauce, you know, it takes a while to cook that, you know, to cook a good tomato sauce. But if you're going to do that, why not cook four times the recipe, pop them in little pots, and then you've got extra tomato sauce cooked off in the freezer for pizza, pasta, whatever, or braises, meat, stews, whatever you need to use it for. Counterintuitive as it might be as well to advise people to spend money to save it at the moment, but I know you're a big fan of the slow cooker as well. So, I mean, we're talking kind of, what, 50, 70 quid for a half-decent one? I mean, or, or or a cheaper one is 13, 15 quid, you know, in other shops. So, um, you know, they're great. They use the same electricity as an are, light bulb. Are the cheaper versions as efficient? I mean, so I, I must admit, I've, I've never dealt with a slow cooker. I mean, are they as efficient? Is it about features, I suppose, as they get more expensive? I've got then? a very ordinary one my mum right, gave okay. me when I left home. I don't think it was a lot of money. So... Yeah, I mean, they're great. You just need to bring, like pulses, you need to bring it up to the to the boil and then chuck it in the slow cooker, turn it on. Mine's so simple. It's either one or two. Two's quite hot, one's not so hot. And then you can leave that on to cook. It's good for cooking um, cheaper cuts of meat and pulses, like cheaper cuts of meat that might be a bit tough. So, you know, like a long, slow cook. So leave that in the slow cooker for six, eight hours, you know, the day, that the duration of that you're not at home or at work or your kids are at school. And then you come home, you've got hot, dinner there and then ready I do think they're a really good thing to use 
even if you don't have access to an oven, you know, because you just need a socket to plug it into. Tom, if you saw one of your chefs cooking, you know, some small quantity of food in a massive oven, I mean, would you be going, well, are these, are these things kind of drummed into you as a chef or has it become more acute in professional circles as the years have gone by? I mean, you know, these conversations about wastage and energy costs have become more prevalent as the years have gone by. I think w wastage is very apparent in terms of the ordering and tightening what you order and how you make it work. Tightening of menus, your menu structure, um, and then knowing exactly what's coming in, having an understanding, data analysis of the dishes that get sold so you have the understanding of what you should or shouldn't be ordering in on that daily basis and making sure that it, um, constant monitoring of prices, constant speaking to suppliers and producers. I think from an energy efficiency point of view, listen, most people, chefs get into the kitchens at 7, 7.30 in the morning, you turn the ovens on, they're on, that's it, they're on. Because you're doing stuff all day long, you're prepping, you're moving, you're getting things out, like across the board, things are in and out of the ovens all day long. You are cooking for a full busy restaurant. Um, so you're not turning the oven on and waiting for it to preheat and then turning it off once you've done that and then somebody else turns it on. It doesn't work like that in kitchens. They're, they're, they're the thing that is constant. However, the way that you, we've moved um, in kitchens in terms of moving from when I first started cooking, everything was just like gas and you turn it on with these gas hobs and gas stoves and you just go on, gas is on, it's off it goes. The way that it's moved now is a lot more kitchens are based on electric electric um, so whether it's a plancher system where there's a temperature that you set the plancher on which is kind of like a metal plate that you cook on and once you know if that's on six out of ten once it comes up to that temperature it cuts out a little bit like a it has an element in it a little bit like a kettle so that right. it's monitoring the the temperature that it is so it's kind of energy efficient or trying to be induction has come much more into kitchens as well now so where that works on the trying to be much more energy efficient it's cleaner the electricity is more expensive than gas, but the long term is that we're trying to use less of it because, like we say, you used to come in, turn the gas on, and the gas would be on from 7 o'clock till midnight. Yeah. That'd be it. So it's I mean, trying I think to it, find induction's that balance. a kind of ecological move, isn't it, rather than a cost saving in the short term. So you Yeah, know. it's all long term. So it, it, restaurants, we, you know, you're constantly looking at longevity. You're looking at... But the problem with longevity, the same as everything, and it's be the same as the, the the noise that you have now about moving to electric cars. You know, everybody, it's very expensive outset now, and how do we get? You know, but it's about long term gains. Um, talking of professional habits, we should mention here that Claire, uh, you had a restaurant, Flinty Red in Bristol, very good it was too. The one time I went many years ago. Um, so you you have as well been kind of you know taught in this world of staying abreast of everything that's going on in that kitchen and trying to use everything as efficiently as possible i mean are, are the things that you've transferred to your domestic setting now which uh, are still useful in that regard yeah i mean that's my that's, i'm so proud to call myself a chef you know i'm a chef first and then a food writer like it's a skill that i've taken a lot of time to to sort of you know, work on. Uh, so yeah, as a chef, you know, you're taught about GPs, like you talked about, you know, you can't just fritter stuff away because that's your margins, you know, they're really important. And it's, if you transfer that to the home home life, it's just the same, you know. So, you know, in, in restaurants that I've worked in, you'd have like stock take Mondays. It was like, oh God, you've all got to do stock take. But actually you knew what was in the kitchen, you know, so you're not buying extra, you're not doubling up, you know, you're not the donut that's going and buying extra creme fraiche or whatever because there's some in the fridge already. That stuff really irritates head chefs, you know, when you do sloppy ordering. So likewise at home, you know, it's really good to know what, what you've got, what you're going to use, rotating stuff so they don't go beyond their best, you know, and just making yourself aware of, of what you've got to cook with. And, and you won't, buy double and you won't see things go to waste so a good tip is like 
little whiteboard marker pen, you know, chuck, chuck down your fridge what you've got in the fridge to use up, you know, your freezer, you'd have to rummage around if you've got a big enough freezer. But, you know, just making sure you're aware of what's in and what needs to be used is, is effective. You've mentioned something to me previously, which I thought was interesting. Uh, you know, people will be familiar with the term mise en place now, prepping all your stuff before you get cooking, if you've been watching MasterChef, etc. Uh, but you made the point, and I've never really thought about this before, that actually that saves energy because if you get everything sorted before you start cooking, you're far less likely to leave pans bubbling away not using them a hundred percent you know like you were saying tom in restaurants you know i you know you get to a kitchen and you're a half a seven you turn everything on full and then you realize like you've got the engine ready to work for that day don't you know I mean but you can't really use that at home like that so having you know if you're doing a stir fry or whatever just having everything chopped and ready to go from from your ginger to your you know to your peas defrosted whatever just make sh- making yourself aware that you can cook whatever you're cooking in as quick a time as possible is a good way to use energy are you good at boiling the kettle rather than boiling a pan of water? I am good at using hot water in a pan and putting the lid on. So that is quicker to boil a pasta water, you know, whatever. But no, I, I wouldn't think to do the kettle and then put that water in. But I would think to do hot water always into a pan. Is a is a lid on pans a real kind of like? To not do that, is that a chef's no-no? Got to have a lid in a pan, yeah. Domestically, I'm sure loads of people don't do that. It's a bit like opening the oven door. I think people are obsessed with looking at the food that they're cooking. They can't trust it to be left alone. Uh, you know, ridiculous as that may sound. I mean, Tom, is is being taught how to use a pan properly part of a chef's training? Yeah, I'm... Sitting it on a flame properly so it's actually getting the heat correctly and stuff like that, rather than, you know, flames licking up the side of the, the pot. But they're all things that you learn. They're all kind of then the way that chefs naturally, instinctively move in kitchens, where a pan goes, the way that you touch it, hold it, the way that you've got your oven cloth, the way that you pull it. You, you learn that if you've got flames going up the side, you're actually burning things on the side. It's uneven cookery and, you know, by the time you pass that to the head chef they'll know that you, there's half of that soup has been burnt even though they can't see it you can taste it they're all things that come with practice and that's one of the you know that's one of the big things that's missing the engagement but uh, you know uh, like Claire was saying the engagement in cooking and trying to be efficient there's lots of dishes like one pan cookery or single oven tray bakes or those sort of things that work really really well so if you're trying to be efficient you know there's efficiency in washing up there's efficiency in making mess there's efficiency across the board if you could do some things or some engaging cooking in where you're just using singular pans or singular trays or or even like there's a recipe we put together that just uses a kettle like we boiled and cook an omelette in a kettle, in a in a bag, that you drop it in, boil the kettle twice, and you have this beautiful omelette. This cooked like you don't even need to turn the stove on. You know, you don't even need a stove. You can be living in temporary accommodation just with a kettle. You can make yourself tea. So there's lots of things out there, but it is just trying to get access to those recipes. That I think those are the big things that will make a difference. Well, thank you, Claire. Thank you, Tom. Hopefully we're giving people some food for thought. And if you're after more suggestions on budget cooking, uh, look out for Good Food's Cook Smart content on bbcgoodfood.com, in the magazine each month, and on the social media channels. Thank you, both of you. Thanks for listening to the BBC Good Food podcast with me, Tom Kerridge. For more brilliant cooking advice, don't miss the quick bonus recipe episode, Let's Cook Together. See you next time. Download the BBC Good Food app today and get inspired in the kitchen. Try a 30-day free trial to discover more than 13,000 recipes. Plus, as part of your subscription, you'll enjoy new ideas and exclusive recipes every month. 
The app will help you cook your best every day and build confidence in the kitchen with a range of skills videos and food masterclasses. You can organise your week by saving your favourite meals to make every day simpler. Plus, it's totally ad-free, so there are no distractions. Visit the App Store and search for BBC Good Food to download the ultimate cooking app today.